you ever wondered about the role of women in the time of Jesus? Have you ever wondered why so many women were at the foot of the cross and remained faithful to the end? Hello, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and today I want you to join me for Women of the Resurrection. Today we are going to bring a teaching to you that I believe will transform your life and cause you to go forward into your highest dimension of destiny. Join me today. But first, I want to invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can receive a copy of our newest book, Secrets of the Anointing, along with other books such as Through the Eyes of Esther and of course, The Resurrection Out of the Ruins. I really encourage you to go to mydayofdestiny.com and that is the place where you can hear all of our recent podcasts. Now, beloved, let's go to today's teaching found in Luke chapter 24. I can't wait for you to be empowered to go forward into your ministry. What were these women like? The women that loved Jesus so much, burning with the fire of God and the love of God, What compelled them to go all the way from Galilee up to Jerusalem and stand at the foot of the cross and never leave the place where they saw our Lord crucified until he came down from the cross? What compelled them to follow Joseph of Arimathea all the way to when he went to Pilate and requested the body of Jesus And what compelled them to follow Joseph of Arimathea all the way to the sepulcher until they put the body of Jesus in the sepulcher? This morning, I want you, today, I want you to follow with me in the scripture and to see the powerful prophetic principles that we see in the women of the resurrection. Let's begin. The Bible says in Luke's gospel, the 24th chapter, the Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, being and bearing spices, which they had prepared with certain others with them. The question arises, Why is Luke withholding their name? Let's look at this again, because the question arises is, who are they? The Bible says, verse one, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher to bring the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of Jesus. And it came to pass when they were much perplexed about that behold, two men stood by with shining garments. And as they were afraid, they bowed down their faces to the earth. And they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? 
He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was yet in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise again. And they returned from the sepulcher and told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now notice this entire narrative, we don't get their names. We only get they. Luke does not reveal their identity till the very end. Luke does not reveal their identity until they go forth with the mission that they were given at the sepulcher from the angels. And we see that Luke tells us it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women, which were told these things on which told these things unto the apostles. Now, beloved, the Bible is very clear on who they were. But today I want to introduce to you the background of these women. The Bible begins with Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, uh, and the other women that were with them. First of all, let's look at this in a literal sense of scripture, and I want to share with you why Mary Magdalene is mentioned first. First of all, beloved, we want to look at the name Mary Magdalene. This is a name that is associated with a notorious sin and a, a notorious sinful past and one that is a woman of ill repute that came to know the Lord Jesus when he cast seven devils out of her. But I also today want to give you a more historic version of who Mary Magdalene was by comparing the ancient Galilean documents on women in the first century and how history records women, especially women of affluence. First of all, a woman, when mentioned in any documentation or record in a historic sense, a woman was always associated with her husband, her family, or her children. Let's look at the way the scripture associates Joanna, who is the wife of Herod's steward, Huza, and the Bible is very clear to associate Joanna with her husband. And again, the scripture associates the other Mary as the mother of James. In another text, the Bible tells us Mary, the mother of James and Salome, the wife of Cleophas. This is the normal presentation of a woman when she is being documented in the historic historical sense uh, in the records that are recorded in the time period of the first century. When a woman's name is to be mentioned in any documents, always her family, either her husband 
or her children are associated with her in that sense of reference. However, when a woman is associated solely from her village or solely from her area, this places a woman in a completely different category. Particularly, the Bible says always Mary Magdalene. Magdalene was not her last name. Magdala was the place she came from. As a matter of fact, the place in the Galilee called Migdol was a place that was called Magdala, and it was a fishing center. It was a place of great, great merchandising with the fish. Now, I want you to know that most individuals who lived in the Galilee, and if they had their name associated with the town or any real estate that the the scripture is going to associate them with, This would tell us that the individual that is being referred to was an extremely wealthy person. Now, I want you to know, beloved, let's really make an assessment here. The Bible does not use the name Mary Magdalene as the harlot. The Bible tells us that Mary called Magdala was the one that Jesus cast seven devils out of. And the scripture is specifically referring to evil spirits and infirmities. Nowhere in the scripture can we find that the quote-unquote sinful woman is named Mary Magdalene. As a matter of fact, in a true historic sense, a person who was a prostitute would not have an income that could be greater than a pauper. I want you to understand this is a very low paying job, if you call that an occupation. But the fact that the scripture is referring to this woman called Mary Magdalene. And Magdala is the city that she is from. And she is being identified differently than a woman who would be introduced historically by her sons, by her daughters, or her husband. This would be the proper way to introduce a Jewish woman. Unless she was a woman that was of great financial enterprise and great financial holdings. As a matter of fact, if we study and reconstruct the Galilee, we will understand that when in the Galilee itself, there was no middle class. The persons in the Galilee that lived in the Galilee in the first century the Galilee being an annexed land, an annexed part. Notice 
the state of Israel had not yet come back together after the scattering of the 10 tribes. So we have Jewish settlements in a Roman occupied Israel. And so therefore, dear people of God, most of the individuals who lived in the Galilee were either landowners because most of the land actually was owned by Herod, not Herod the Great, but Herod Herod the Tetrarch. And he owned most of the Galilee. As a matter of fact, historical documents and sources tell us that Herod owned most of Tiberias. And if you notice, Jesus never ministered in Tiberias because Tiberias was primarily a Gentile territory, a Gentile village. Although we do have evidence that there was a synagogue definitely in Tiberias. And we also have a Torah Academy that is very famous that is from Tiberias. However, we do not ever have Jesus, nor is there any record of Jesus ever entering into Tiberias to minister. Quite on the contrary, all of the villages that we see Jesus entering into in the Galilee are kosher villages. And these are villages occupied solely by Jews. And those who are non-Jews are only those from the Roman Empire that have been assigned to those areas for their various responsibilities, such as Bethsaida. Bethsaida itself was a fishing village of approximately 600 persons in the time of the first century, where we see most of those families as being related one to another. So therefore, we must understand that when a woman has a city attached to her name, she is a woman of great affluence and great substance. Now, in order to really get what we're driving at, you see, I want us to see the gospel clearly. I want us through an investigative process to look at these women of the resurrection as to who they really were so that you can understand their life, their legacy, and their courage. I want you to see these women of the resurrection that loved Jesus so much. I want you to see how they were empowered by love for him. Now, I also want to share with you another very important piece of uh, critical analysis when we are investigating the text. And that is that whoever is mentioned first has the priority. And I want you to understand that in the gospel texts, it is usually Mary Magdalene among the other women who are mentioned first. Let me give you a clear example. John's gospel in the 19th chapter is the only place that we see Mary Magdalene when other women are included in the passage is mentioned second. But it is usually the norm of scripture to always have Mary Magdalene 
first. And this, beloved saints, is a tremendous insight because this is going to tell us her place and her position among the women Talmudim of our Lord. Let us look at this and let us see. First of all, the question arises, did Jesus have women disciples? Or did the women just follow him? Or were they genuine Talmudim? Were they genuine women who learned Torah from Jesus, who learned the word of God from Jesus? Let's look at the scripture. The Bible shows us in in Mark's gospel. Let's go over to Mark. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 16. And Mark chapter 16, verse 30 tells us, there were also women looking on afar off. He is referring to the crucifixion. Among whom was Mary Magdalene, notice, She's being mentioned first again. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and Hoses and Salome. Notice just what we shared with you. How the normal, the normative way in the text or in the first century to refer to a Jewish woman in the sense of observing modesty would be that a woman would be mentioned with her children and also uh, usually her husband. But in this case, we have Mary, the mother of James the Less, Joseph, and Salome. But Mary Magdalene is mentioned first. And again, we are making the distinction that her city is attached to her name. Something that is not done in at all in the first century, unless the woman is a woman of tremendous resource, a woman of tremendous affluence, and that her real estate holdings are so great that the city is named after her. Therefore, we can, from a historical sense of scripture, surmise that Mary owned most of Magdala. We can understand that she had either owned real estate or maybe a business with fishing. We do not know, but we do know that her wealth was enormous and that she had forsaken everything to follow her master to the point that she has now left the Galilee with other women to follow Jesus to the foot of the cross. Let's continue in the context and look at verse 41, which verifies these assumptions. Let's look at verse 41 that says, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. And many other women came up with him unto Jerusalem. What does it mean when the Bible says these women who are at the foot of the cross, who when he was in Galilee, followed him? 
This word followed him doesn't just mean that they're just going wherever Jesus went and they couldn't wait to hear his next teaching. No, the evidence teaches us that Jesus also had women who were Talmudim. These women who studied with the other women. Now, I want you to understand most likely these women did not mix with the men. That would be culturally incorrect. But because Mary Magdalene's name is always mentioned first, we can also come to a deeper insight as to who this woman was. We can come into a deeper insight to understand that in a Hebrew sense of scripture, the background of women who supported Torah study were women of great honor in the Jewish community. For example, we have here substantial, reliable information, such as from the Babylonian Talmud. The reason I'm sharing this with you is not so that we are looking so much at uh, a certain theological position, but we are looking at this for historical accuracy. We are looking at this for historical documentation that will give us insight so that we can reconstruct in a proper context the first century and women of the resurrection. Here's what the Babylonian Talmud tells us in Barachot 17a, that women who are women in Israel earn special merit this is called zechut, by sending their children to learn in the synagogue and their husbands to study Torah in the schools and help their husband to study in the schools of the rabbis. So this meant women who took of their finances and supported their husbands, their children, their cousins, or even any students who had no supporters to support them, to the schools of the rabbis. What does this mean? The schools of the rabbis are in two different contexts. One context is called the Beit Midrash, which was attached to every synagogue, where there would be a house of study, where Torah would be studied, during the day and at various periods where rabbis would teach Torah and where there would be a habura or where there would be habarot or individuals who would be debating Torah one with another as they studied Torah, which is the proper way of interpreting Torah. But we also see that many famous rabbis did not just stay only in the synagogue. Many rabbis traveled from town to town that were loved and revered, but there was never a rabbi like this rabbi. You see, I want to tell you about this rabbi because when this rabbi would walk through Galilee, entire towns would be emptied out. You see, they would throng him. This was never done before in the history of Israel. We do not find the crowds thronging the prophet Elijah, nor do we find the crowds 
thronging Samuel. We don't find the crowds thronging Isaiah or even Moses. But yet, when this rabbi would step foot in any town, the people would forsake what they're doing and they would say, Rabboni Yeshua, he is crossing through our village. Entire villages would come. Now I want you to understand the way Luke presents this rabbi. He does not only present him as a healer, but first he presents him as a teacher. I want you to see what the scripture teaches us here in the gospel according to Luke. Because Luke builds an argument for us, an argument of one, please understand, in Jerusalem, it's a completely different culture. In Jerusalem, it is a culture of complete persecution. And I want you to understand why the culture is so completely different than the culture in Jerusalem for Yeshua, as it was in the Galilee. Because the culture in the Galilee, if you follow, the Bible says in Luke chapter, chapter five, the Bible says in verse 17, and it came to pass on a certain day that he was teaching. Can you say this with me? He was teaching. The Bible says he was teaching and there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by from every town in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal. Now, can I take you one step further? I want you to know, not all Pharisees challenged Jesus. The certain group of Pharisees called the House of Shmai. These were individual Pharisees who were in constant contradiction with the Pharisees or with the teachers from the house of Hillel. Now, in order to understand what's going on here, the Pharisees that and the doctors of the law that are coming out to hear this rabbi, towns are being emptied out. People are thronging him presses and multitudes without without number are following him from town to town and as many as touched the hem of his garment were made whole of their disease and their afflictions but among them they all came to hear his word they came to hear his teaching because he is teaching not something new, that he is so articulate in the things of Torah that he has his own Samika. Samika is authority. Samika means he doesn't have to use sources to back him up for what he's saying. That his individual, what we call in Hebrew, halakha, his interpretation is so accurate, he doesn't need anybody to be quoted to back him up. And I want you to see, people are amazed. They've never heard a teacher 
so articulate, a teacher revealing the secrets of their heart, a teacher revealing, revealing Torah to his people, teaching them the ways of God and teaching them the true interpretations of what Moses meant. You see, beloved, when Jesus said, I have not come to destroy the law, I have come to fulfill it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. What does it mean to destroy the law and to fulfill it? Beloved saints, this is a Hebrew idiom that was used in the first century. And so often when we hear idioms in the text, we interpret them a tad out of context. In the first century, to destroy Torah meant that you misinterpreted it. To fulfill Torah meant you interpreted it perfectly. When Jesus said, I have not come to destroy the Torah, to destroy the law, I have come to fulfill it. He did not just mean that he is the fulfillment of all prophecy, which he is. He not only meant that I am the Mashiach, he was. But we must also understand in order to legitimately qualify him in his proper role as the Mashiach of Israel, he must be a teacher of un un unprecedented, complete clarity on the way that he teaches the word of God. Now, beloved saints, I want you for a moment to look at these women, women Talmudim. How do we know they were Talmudim? Dr. Carell, are you sure that they sat at the feet of Jesus and the men learned, the 12 learned? Of course, we cannot in the first century culture mix the women with the men. That would be completely historically, uh, completely incorrect and completely massacre the scripture in its historical context. But we must understand that the women were given a dignity, a dignity beyond what we can imagine to allow them to be Talmudim. How do we know? Because whenever someone sits at the feet of their rabbi, they are a Talmud. And we find another Mary, not Mary Magdalene, but Mary of Bethany, sitting at the feet of Jesus, who sat listening to his word. And the Bible says Martha loved him so much, she was the Talmud also. But she was not, at the time he came into the house, so interested in hearing the shear for that day. She was more caught up with making sure her master was taken care of properly, that the food was prepared in a most excellent way because the women Talmudim also had the responsibility of taking care of the brethren. 
They would prepare the meals. They would make sure everything's in divine order so that everything would go smoothly for the Torah study. And we see that Mary Magdalene, when we look at Luke chapter 8, and Joanna, the wife of Herod Steward, Ahuza, these women are going to take of their substance. And also Susanna, they're going to take of their substance. They're going to support Torah learning through their rabbi, through their Mashiach, through the one that they love, through the one they are convinced is the Mashiach of Israel. And so they are going to support any type of effort as the chutz. They are going to support the men so they're able to study, so they're able to leave home. How in the world are these 12 men able to leave their homes and able to travel with Jesus wherever he goes? They're going to have to have support. And this was common in the culture with well-to-do women that they would take a zuchutz upon themselves in the Torah culture, which still stands in Israel today, that supporting Torah is one of the most notorious merits that a woman could possibly um, be known for. They ministered unto him with their substance. So it doesn't just mean they brought their offerings. It meant they sponsored. They were sponsors of John, sponsors of James, sponsors of Simon, sponsors of, of Thaddeus, sponsors of all of the twelve that walked with Jesus, sponsors of Matthew, sponsors of the 12 who were called and separated, Peter and his and his brother Andrew. They were sponsors of these events. And so this is how, beloved saints, these women followed Jesus to the foot of the cross. And though the men forsook him, these women did not. And the question arises, why were they the first ones to receive the message of the resurrection? And why in John's gospel is Mary Magdalene the first one sent? She becomes an apostle to the apostles. Why? Because the word one sent apostole in Greek, Jesus himself sent her at the resurrection. I want you to know, beloved, that there is a place, a powerful place for the women of God. As a matter of fact, we see these women so determined and we wonder why they're so powerful. These women were so powerful, they were gutsy. By that I say, can you imagine? Look at these women, their backgrounds. These women were not women of some, uh, they were not women of the streets, all right? These women were women of tremendous Affluence. What in the world is Joanna, the wife of Herod Stewart, doing at five o'clock in the morning at an off limits sepulcher? 
the question arises, isn't this against Roman law? And isn't this going to put her husband, who has one of the most affluent positions in all of Israel, to be Herod's steward? Do you understand, dear saints of God, how wealthy Herod was? Herod owned most of Galilee, and the steward of that wealth was Huza, who was the husband of Joanna, who should by means observe the protocol. She should not be going against Rome and standing there at a seal, at, at a tomb that's been sealed off and off limits, being guarded by guards, being at five o'clock in the morning before the sun comes up. Where are the, where are the, the husbands? Where are the others? What are they doing? Going to the tomb at five in the morning with spices. And there called Magdalene. Did she lose her mind or what? What is she doing going there with the spices so early in the morning at such an early time? They couldn't wait for the Shabbat to be over. They could not wait. They made the spices until the Shabbat came. And then the very next day, they couldn't wait to get back to their Lord. You see, dear people, these women were so courageous. They didn't even know how the stone was going to be rolled away. You must understand that in Mark's gospel. They are speaking among themselves saying, who's going to roll away the stone? They hadn't gotten to the grave yet. They did not know that the stone was already rolled away, but they were walking by faith, believing God that somehow God would give them the strength to roll away the stone because nothing was going to stop these women from ministering to their Lord. They came with spices. Spices is a prophetic parallel of the anointing. And God wants you to know that he has placed the anointing in the hands of the women of the resurrection. And God wants you to walk in that power of the resurrection. And what is that power? That power comes from staying faithful, even at the cross. You see, the cross is what qualified them. And the cross is what's going to qualify you. When you are faithful to the end, to your position, when you are going through persecution, when you are going through difficult times when you are faithful to the end and stay steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, you are like the women of the resurrection. And when you rise early to praise God, when you rise before the sun comes up and say, I can't wait with, I can't wait till the sun comes up. I'm waiting for my Lord. I must see him. Where is my beloved? I have to find him. You come with spices, whether you realize it or not, because rising early in prayer in the morning, you are are bringing those spices and you are bringing the anointing to the day, but you are also anointing your savior with your prayers, with your praise and with your worship. Hallelujah. Have the most wonderful resurrection day. This resurrection day. I pray this study on the women of the resurrection will minister to you. God bless you. And for those of you who would like to be part of our worldwide outreach to the poorest of the poor, you can go on our mydayofdestiny.com and it will take you to the donate page. You can donate to children, to orphans, to the work of God, to water wells, to whatever God puts on your heart. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.